Podcast. I'm your host, Dave. Today, my guest is Carista. Carista runs the Divine Oracle IG page doing tarot readings and other such magic workings. And she was kind enough to come on the show. And the first part of the show, we kind of talked about something very personal, which was medical issues and the relationship between the patient and the doctor and how in our more modern times, that oftentimes, especially if you're a woman, can be a very frustrating experience when you're trying to explain what you know intrinsically to be true within your own body. And yet, because of the way modern medicine typically works, perhaps your concerns aren't always validated. Um, and then we started talking about society as a whole and kind of the the way this culture works and some of the pitfalls and also some of the benefits of it. I appreciate I really appreciate Krista's uh, point of view and perspective and her willingness to be so open with sharing more personal matters. And I hope that each and one of you who listens gains a little bit of some perspective as well, especially those of us who um, have work, live in countries that have different medical systems and um, different access to healthcare. I think it's really important in our current climate, as we've just last seen for the last few years, that an open and honest discussion about healthcare is not only important for ourselves personally, but the greater society and community at large. So I want to thank Krista so much for her time. I want to thank you all for listening. Without further ado, the Divine Oracle, Krista. Perfect. So firstly, how are you doing? Um, I'm doing better. I, yes. I want to say I'm doing better because I don't want to say I'm doing worse. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think kind of changing the mindset a bit kind of helped. I know as far as like my health and stuff, things are mm-hmm. slowly getting better. Um, but it's definitely going to be a process. And I just don't think I need to get frustrated with myself that it's not going at the pace that I'm wanting it to go and more or less just let it develop naturally and learn whatever I need to learn from it. And I think more or less learn a little bit more about my mind, body, spirit connection as a result too, because that's kind of the direction it's pushing me in. So. I, I always, um, you know, as I've done this podcast and as I've had the opportunity to, to meet with certain people and to get to know their stories, um, folks who suffer from uh, chronic illness or uh, physical pain uh, or anything along those lines, it feels like it's far more common than I think the average person expects or, yeah. or even thinks considers. And uh, I think most of us suffer in silence. I mean, for me, I've, I think I've talked about on the podcast, I have a neck injury that I sort of discovered at the beginning of the year. It wasn't like uh, something happened. It wasn't like I had a, an incident and just one day I woke up with my neck hurting and it still does. And a couple of trips to the doctor and revealed I have a pretty severe bulge disc in my neck uh, in the C7-T1 area. Jesus. So, uh, yeah. So I have I have almost constant <laughs> chronic pain in my neck and uh, numbness in my right arm, which is my dominant arm. Uh, I'm learning to live with it. I'm learning to manage it. Yoga helps co- considerably. Um, I've bought little neck traction pillows, things of that nature. Um, but barring uh, getting lucky in the 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 gel disc that you know lives between your your spinal column it comes off a nerve or uh, I get surgery. I just yeah. it's one of those things you'll just have to deal with, you know, and hope I don't lose strength in my arm. 
because I desperately want to avoid surgery. For you, um, at least for me, I'm you know within this last four months, I I could get a a a diagnosis and I could start making the adjustments. But for you, um, that's been a, a, a difficult journey in and of itself. Yeah. Um, well, particularly with what I'm dealing with is, um, it's been kind of determined, they classify it as a, like a reproductive disease, but it's not, Mm. it's called endometriosis. And typically the reason they call it a reproductive disease is because it typically starts to form down around that area. And it's where Mm -hmm. tissue that's similar to the uterus, Mm -hmm. um, not exactly the uterus, starts to grow outside of the uterus and starts to so like when they did my when I finally got in for this laparoscopy uh what they did uh they go in with these they make small little incisions and they go in with a little camera and then they zap these incisions and cut them out and you know, when they talk about adhesions and lesions and stuff like that, you think that it's just going to be like a big tangled web. But when Mm -hmm. you go in, what it is, is they're tiny little specks almost, Um, but some are darker, some are not. But in one spot in me, because she said when she got in there, it was a mess. Mm. But when behind, I think it was on the left side of my uterus, um, she had seen these dots and they were very, very deep. And when she excised it, she pulled it out. She said there was a huge, it was almost like a, she didn't want to classify it as a tumor, but the way she described it, it sounded like it was tumor-like. And I didn't get mm-hmm. to see that part of it, but I did see underneath it. And it's, it's crazy to think that, you know, for probably 19 years, I had this growing in my body and it all started typically for, for women. It's, it's mostly women that suffer from this, although rare cases there have been men. Mm-hmm. And of course, I can get into the whole thing about hormones and food and everything as far mm-hmm. as this contributing to this. But, you know, it starts out, you go to the doctor and, you know, you're going through puberty and stuff like that. And you, as a woman, you get your period. And with me, it was just excruciating and just to the point that there was times I was missing school. I'd have to sit out in gym. Um so my mom took me to the doctor cause she suffered kind of the same thing, but she said with you, she said, this is, there's something going on here. And the doctor right. who was a male, nothing against men, but sometimes there's a disconnect because they're not experiencing what women are experiencing. So of it was course. more or less, it's normal. Here's a birth control pill. Hmm. And the funny thing is, is the way they treat, treat in, <laughs> I don't call it air quotes. Yeah. I don't call it treating. I call it masking. Um, Mm. The way they treat the endometriosis is you are put on either birth control. If the birth control doesn't work, then they do an IUD. Um, If the IUD doesn't work, um, then they'll give you a shot such as Lupron, which puts you into temporary menopause um, hmm. which has that's caused women to have major mental health problems, which go on, like, go ignored uh, right. because it can't possibly be the birth control, the shot or anything else. It's just you, you're, you're crazy. And I yeah. think as women, we, we, un- we kind of get that a lot. And I think 
but I, I, I just don't even want to say it's like a man woman thing either. I don't like getting into that type of category, but I do feel that sometimes with women, when we start to talk about our pain, it's almost mm-hmm. like, well, what are you complaining about? It's like, we're not experiencing, they try to kind of either you're crazy, it's in your head or, and it's, and I'm not saying that doesn't happen to men either, but there always seemed to be this thing, even around women's periods that they're crazy. They're, this is a natural way to be. And it's not women. Yes. Women's moods change, you know, throughout their cycle. We kind of go in like the moon, the waxing and the waning, but to get to the point that you have like PMS, that's not normal. It's a syndrome. Like we should Mm -hmm. not be feeling erratic and sometimes even so depressed before our periods to the point, I know there was times I was feeling suicidal. So it's, you get very manic at times and you, you have people telling you that this is normal. It's like, this isn't normal. And a lot of it is tied to what they're giving you as treatment is like, here's a birth control. And I mean, I can, this has been like a ripple effect. Like, I mean, even with birth control, oh my God, I'm kind of jumping all around here, but all these things start to tie in together. And Mm -hmm. for instance, when the first birth control, the doctor put me on was called Yasmin Mm -hmm. and it's still being given to women today. And about six years into taking that birth control, I was about 21, 22, I started having seizures. And they weren't seizures that you, like they weren't epileptic. I had, I was fully aware of what was going on. Um, Now they would start, I would get like a tingling feeling in the back of my neck and my feet would start shaking and slowly would move its way up my body. It would last for about 10 minutes. I could talk, I could communicate. But as it went on, I, I was losing more and more control over my body. So it got to the point that the seizures were lasting anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour. Um, I, I wasn't able to talk, but instead I would start screaming and I had no control over what I was doing. I could look, I could see what was going on in the room, but as far as like, I'd start making all these gurgling sounds, like I had no control and the only way that I could describe it with the language I had at that moment in time was I remember coming out of one and saying to my dad, like, you need to get a priest. I think I'm possessed. I think there's something. It was, it was crazy. And, you know, I, I was in with like psychologists. I went in to see now, mind you, when I first, when I was going to the doctor, when I was telling them I was having these seizures, the doctor laughed at me. Like, it's like, oh, it's, that's not possible. The way I was describing it, they say, well, that's not possible. I'm like, well, I'm experienced. It is. it is like, I'm, am, am I making it up? Like, so this is what you're dealing with, with doctors all the time. It's like, they can't get past their ego to accept that maybe I'm having an experience that you didn't read about in your books. Like, yeah. you may have studied it, but I'm experiencing it. And like, it would be really nice if you could just sit back and listen and take it in and then go from there. But they don't, it's like, they have to have their, like they have this thing in front of them. They can't get by. Like, I don't know if it's the education. I don't know if it's the thing that I know more than you. And it's not that I'm going into the doctor's appointments trying to say, 
I'm right and you're wrong and you don't know anything you talk, you're talking about because obviously you do, you've studied it. But maybe there's more to it than what you've studied and maybe there's exceptions. And right. this is the problem is like they, they don't have any room for exceptions. It's just like this is the way we've been doing it. Take this pill. If you don't take this pill, then obviously you don't want to help yourself. So there, there I am with these seizures. Um, I finally get listened to when I finally have a seizure in the doctor's office and I get sent to the hospital. And I remember there was a specialist that came down from, from Halifax. I'm from Nova Scotia. So Halifax is the, the main city in Nova Scotia. They came down to where I'm from in uh, Antigonish area there. And he, I remember him like standing over me while I was having a seizure. He goes, what is bothering you so bad? And those words just like stuck with me because it started to make me think is like, well, maybe I do have a level of control over what's happening right now. So I finally got into a psychiatrist and this guy was a lifesaver. Um, there's very few people like him. And he almost reminded me of like a guru type person is he wasn't trying to tell me what I was thinking. He wasn't trying to break it down. He more or less just kept asking questions and he led me down this path where I was answering things for myself. Like he led me into this line of awareness. And what he kind of said is, well, at this moment in time, I was using marijuana. That was the only thing that seemed to kind of keep seizures at bay till mm -hmm. it got to the worst part, like where I was just out of control. I just couldn't control them. And he said something along the lines was like, now I can't, at this point, it wasn't legal up here. So he said, you know, I'm not supposed to tell you to smoke it, but if it's helping you keep doing it, don't smoke the whole thing. He said, just go have a few puffs and see if that helps. But he said, as far as everything else, he said, I want you off the antidepressant you're on. I want you off the birth control you're on. I want you off every medication, which is weird because usually you go in and they're trying to shove another medication down your throat. Mm -hmm. But in this case, and he said, whatever, he said, we don't. So what they're called is psychogenic pseudo seizures. And he said, we don't know exactly what brings them on, but what we feel is a buildup of stress in the mm. brain. And he said, so whatever's bothering you, you have to get it off your chest. So the, one of the last times I had my seizures, I was, I said, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I felt it coming on. I ran upstairs and I remember yelling to my mom. Um, and she came up and I said, mom, you got to tell me something that you've never told anybody about that you feel very guilty over, uh, but you feel comfortable enough to tell me because I need to feel comfortable enough to unleash everything that's bothering me. But you, I need to know that I'm safe, right? right. I can trust, we can trust each other here. So she told me something and then I just let everything go. I never went into a seizure that day and I never went into one since. That's, that's incredible. Hey, there's so many things that you touched on that I think are really profound. I mean, number one, um, when we're talking about this idea that PMS and the, and the extreme pain and mood swings that women uh, deal with being sort of viewed as normal, I, I, I think that we can't ignore 
the impact that pop culture has on all aspects of our lives. We we have this idea that, you know, what we see in pop culture, it may it maybe affects the general zeitgeist or or opinion on a matter, but you know, professionals are, are beyond that. And I don't I don't think that's to be true. I think it's very likely that even doctors who are just folks who have a certain skill set, they are equally influenced by this idea that women are crazy during their period, right? We've yeah. all seen the romantic comedies where someone yeah. You know, Kate Hudson's acting like a wacko, and you know yeah. what have you. And it it would be naive to believe that it wouldn't color their opinion. Um, compound compound that with the fact that you asked earlier, what was this mentality? Is it thinking that they're they they know more than you, or is it a placating of some sort? And I think that there is certainly, if we if we take a step back and we look at society broadly, there mm-hmm. is this environment where the the um, the intellectuals kind of look down yeah. on, for lack of a better term, muggles, right? Or normie exactly. folks or working class folks. There's, There has this ever greater divide between those who feel like they have ascended into a certain club versus everyone else who's mm-hmm. just uh, you know, a country bumpkin and we don't know any yeah. better and we can't <laughs> do anything for ourselves. Yeah. And, and, um, I think that's I think that's ingrained. Obviously, you're in Canada, so there there may be some differences, but uh, certainly in America, it's it's ingrained in our educational system that these folks know more and we know less, and if we just yep. listen to them, we'll be fine. And so, when you come up to that system and you start to believe that you've got you know you're God's gift, there's this famous movie called Malice with Alec Baldwin. He plays a doctor and there's a fame. If you ever want to see one of the best uh, monologues ever in a movie, look up God complex malice. And it's, he's playing this doctor who essentially is just ego on display, like the walking id. And um, it would be, it it obviously cover colors the way that they uh, treat patients, prescribe to patients, um, even listen to patients, right? They have a docket full of, of, uh, of patients. And again, medical system works a little bit different in Canada and America, but they're just getting through them all. Yeah. And they've been taught that medicine is the cure for everything. Every, just take this pill, take the, I mean, never, never stopping to think that perhaps giving a young child, which I would consider, uh, you know, 13, 14, 15, even and younger, uh, I mean, those are children, and yes. you're giving them a heavy dose of regular hormones. Yep. If it doesn't sound harrowing to suggest that you would introduce a sort of pseudo menopause into a preteen yeah. or a teenager, then I think we need to take a step back and really divorce ourselves from this idea that every person who holds a degree in this, that, or the other knows best. So it's not to say that they're not intelligent. It's not to say that they don't have a grasp of generally speaking of, of medicine, but as we've seen with like nutrition, for example, um, it's been well documented that the average doctor is woefully underprepared and knowledgeable about proper nutrition. Yeah. I think I read in a book I'm reading here about my endometriosis as they say back in 2010, now this might've changed. They say in four years of medical school, the doctor mm-hmm. has about 19.6 hours in nutrition training. Right. Less than out a of week. Yeah, out of exactly. Four years. It's crazy. So <laughs> so when you consider how many 
elements are connected to what we eat, either exactly. as, a, as a result of overeating or just what we eat. Um, and you realize that they've spent less than a week of education in an eight-year program. Uh, it, you know, it least causes the question that perhaps we shouldn't blindly offer our allegiance to the in the hall of medicine. And again, I'm not an anti-medicine person, yeah. but it's just it's best to go. Like, uh, I'll give you an example. Um, in a, I don't know if this happens in Canada, but in America, we run medical we run medicine advertisements all the time. Like, it's a common thing. Yeah, we don't uh, really see- have that here. <laughs> no. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So my partner's my partner's from Australia, right? And she's yeah. flabbergasted every time she sees these commercials for these me- these serious medicines, and they always have the uh, you know they always have the the diatribe of all the symptoms that you could, and they almost always include suicidal thoughts, self harm, <laughs> you know, depression, or, or the same symptoms they're trying to treat you for. <laughs> exactly. Oh, always, always, <laughs> always. And so, you know, we we rely on certain drugs that that offer these that that have as many pitfalls as they do possible uh, solutions. And it's not to say that those drugs aren't effective. And perhaps in some instances, those drugs were are incredibly effective, or yeah. perhaps they are the best we got. Yeah. But what what I what I hear in your story, and I've heard so many other times, and I've experienced them even even of myself. Is there is no back and forth conversation? No, there is no open no. and honest discussion about whether or not this is going to help and and potentially what it could also bring up, right? Yeah. What What are the side effects that this particular drug? I mean, maybe, and at least you allow you you'd be allowed to have a um, an informed decision, yeah. right? This idea, you know, I I had. I've talked about this on the podcast. I had kidney stones last year and they're extraordinarily painful Um, to, to the point, to the point where, where uh, there were women nurses who said this is equivalent, if not maybe even more painful than childbirth. I would agree. And, uh, and (laughs) I didn't give birth to child, but, (laughs) but you know, and uh, you know, obviously I have no, I personally have no point of reference. Um, But it, it certainly hurt a lot, you know. And and it it while I was experiencing that, it really drove home that as a general rule, men have a lower pain tolerance, play, lower pain threshold than women. And I think, um, again, in that combination of an over reliance on medicine being the cure all for everything, and there's nothing possibly that could go wrong, even though there's you know every advertisement lists all the symptoms that are terrible, right? Mm-hmm. Doctors tend to ignore that part of it, and the pop culture idea that a lot of these pains, especially as it's, as it relates to periods are sort of fabricated in one's mind. You know, you always hear those urban legends of the woman who like got out of work because she claimed to have PMS and she really went to just go play hooky, you know, and all these things, they, they, they build up right. Even in our medical professionals. And then because the environment does not allow for an honest conversation, you're just kind of going up. They're telling you what you have. They're telling you what you need. And you're supposed to say, yes, sir. And then go out the door. There's, it's no wonder why so many folks are struggling with long-term ailments that maybe could be resolved. If there was a, if we approached medicine and medical advice in a much more, um, well, it's kind of sounds like with your, uh, it was a psychiatrist. I think you said it was. 
or a therapist. Yeah, that was more kind of walked me in around the state of awareness type. Exactly. I feel like that's the kind of conversations that anything relating to medical advice, that's that's the format by which it should be had so that we can make informed decisions about what we're putting into our bodies. What are the possible side effects? Are we discussing, are we only talking about the medicine that happens to be supporting your clinic or giving you a kickback or what have you? Or are we talking about things that could be solved with diet? Are we talking about things that we could solve? You know, one of the things that helps my neck the most is uh, a mentor of mine recommended I take these turmeric pills. Just little turmeric supplement. Yes, turmeric's a lifesaver. And I'm not saying it cures it, but it certainly, like, let me put it this way. I had a cortisone shot in my neck and it helped for a day. Yeah. I take turmeric pills every morning and it's absolutely between that and marijuana, it absolutely manages my Mm -hmm. pain level in a considerable way. So, that that twenty dollar bottle of turmeric that lasts me like a month, and uh, well, marijuana in California is not that cheap, but nevertheless, you yeah. know it's there are there were there's you know cortisone shots are not good for you. This, that's been proven, especially if you overdo them. So perhaps could other things have been? And by the way, this doctor who treated me, he was great. But you know, yeah. as a general rule, like were could there not be other methods by which we could get similar results with perhaps not the same level of side effects. I, I had a, I went to go get a burrito at a place the other day and I, you know, I'm vegan. And so I asked if they had tofu and what have you and I'm working out my order. And the lady was saying that she had uh, for a while been, been plant-based and um, she'd kind of fallen off the wagon, so to speak. And, but she had done it because she was trying to reduce inflammation in her knee. Yeah. And, and while she was plant-based, she, she saw a, a reduction in inflammation and uh, but of course, you know, habits being what they are, they kind of rear back. And I said, "Hey, listen, take it easy on yourself. Try it one 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 day a week, two days a week. You know, don't don't put pressure on yourself to be all or nothing. Just my advice is, when you go to pick a meal, consider it. Consider eating plant based. Yeah, maybe you will, maybe you won't. Don't need to make. Don't need to wave a banner. But that's another that's another uh, instance where perhaps a just a simple change in diet can can bring about some some health results in a way that maybe medicine it might but it also might bring with it a a trojan horse of symptoms that you don't want to deal with later down the line well well this is it that's the thing is like the birth control like i was telling them i think the birth control is causing seizures no 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 and then come to find out the doc one of the doctors that seen me have the seizures when i was in to see her she had said i did some research and i do believe that it was the yasmin that caused your seizures she said i believe what it does is actually lower your seizure threshold and that's what made you Mm. more prone to the seizures but what's crazy is like they're still they still have this stuff you know what i mean it's like they still market it to people and they're still recommending it to women like when i go on this these forms for endometriosis um well when i had what Facebook and stuff. Um, mm. A lot of women I seen were on this Yasmin. I'm like, no, but you know what? Maybe it's working for them. Maybe it's right. not having the same results. So I can't knock everything. But to me, I don't believe. I don't believe in 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 making like, for instance, with me, the 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 when they were t- recommending all this stuff for endometriosis, all it does is supposed to help lessen the pain. Mm-hmm. And that being said, 
they say they want to try to stop your period. This is the crazy thing about it. They want, this is my problem with the medicine Mm -hmm. is they don't like anything natural, even a woman's natural cycle. It's like, we need to stop it. We need to stop the cycle to stop, but that doesn't solve the problem because there's women, you stop their cycle and they're still having their problems. In my case, they gave me this stuff and it caused it caused me to pretty much have a period for over like almost two months. So I'm like, wow. you're trying to stop my period, but you're giving me one. <laughs> like, what's going on here? And then you're looking up like the birth control I was on has estrogen. And they're saying the estrogen is what feeds the inflammation, which feeds right. the, the, the lesions that, that grow. And it's, it's really frustrating that you're here. Like, how do I describe it? Like we talk about that kind of thing where the, the intellectuals think they know more than mm-hmm. the country bumpkin. And, and, and that's a lot of what it is, is you go in there and it's, it's like, you don't know what you're, you don't know your own body. I remember saying this to my sister. I said, you know, the worst part of this, even though I was in pain, like, nonstop. I was dealing with all these things to the point, like I thought I was going to like, how am I not going insane right now? Like I can't work half the time. I can't even leave my yard. Like I'm sometimes I'm falling, like falling asleep. As soon as I wake up, it's like having all these stabbing pains, all these different types of pain going on through your body. And I said, the worst part of it was even that the worst part of it was cr- trying to get help and people constantly telling you or making you feel like it's just in your head that you're not really yeah. experiencing this. You're just kind of blowing it out of proportion, whether it be my doctors, whether it be my employers. It was this constant dismissive feeling of people telling me what's going on in my body. It's, it's, it, you get so disconnected because you're you're constantly listening to what other people are telling you about you that you forget to even listen to yourself and you become mm-hmm. so disconnected from your own own body and meanwhile it's screaming at you please listen to me and the minute i tell you the minute you start listening it starts to push you in the direction you need to go like for years I mean, I've, I've been kind of like a conspiracy type person. I think most people nowadays kind of walk that line. But mm-hmm. I mean, I was heavy into it. I was into the whole Alex Jones and everything. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's like, oh, I don't know. Don't get me wrong. I think the guy's kind of entertaining at times, but he's a little off his rocker. But, <laughs> you know, in those, you know, where they're talking about Monsanto and GMOs, like all those types of things. And you're like, you get so overwhelmed by the information that sometimes it actually keeps you from changing because it's like you want to do everything at once where Mm -hmm. it, that's what happened to me. I've been aware. Then it's like, how do you, I know something you now know, and it's almost impossible because you're just going against your inner voice. It's like, I've presented this thing to you in the outside world as the realm of knowledge, something to enlighten you, some wisdom. Now, what are you going to do with it? Well, you can ignore it, knowing what you know, which is 
pretty much insanity to do, which I did. Right. Right. Um, to the point that it manifests in your continues to manifest in your body. And you know, that it's doing this, like this, this foods that's sprayed with heavily sprayed with pesticides, the birth control that's, you know, messing with your, I mean, these hormones mess with your brain structure. They mess. I mean, they're to the point they even can mess with who you choose as a partner. And mm. that's, that's crazy. Like you're messing with people's brain structures here, not just through medication. You're doing it through food. You're doing it through uh, cleaners, beauty products, clothes. I mean, there was something I think out about, um, there's some clothing, Fashion Nova and stuff, these popular clothing brands being, having le- traces of lead and stuff in them. Yeah. It's, mm. it's, it's crazy. It's like, no matter what we're doing in the name of, I don't know, profit, in the name of consumerism, we're literally destroying ourselves in the process. And it's like, you don't, I think what the sickness, I had to, there's this process that happens when you, when you come into illness, disease or anything, and there's a grieving process which happens. And it's like, you're so, I mean, I was so upset because I couldn't go through McDonald's and get a hamburger if I wanted to. And, right. you know, with me, it's not just like, you know, I, I, I can't have gluten. I can't have, um, you know, dairy for the most part. I try to avoid that stuff. I'm eating mostly plant-based now. Well, pretty much all plant-based for the most part. Um, not any meat. But it's like with me, it's a little different because I can eat certain healthy foods like watermelon for instance can be a trigger for me like it's 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 it makes you really start to re-examine how your body really interacts with the world around you and you know there's this like I said the grieving processes is you can't do the things I mean you can do them but you know now if I do them I'm going to suffer greatly like I'm going to probably have a flare that lasts for a week uh, do I want to put myself through this? And the answer for me at this point is no, I don't want to go through anything extra than what I'm actually dealing with at the moment, because to me, that's choosing insanity. But it's like, how do I pick up? How do I, because right now I'm being forced to make these changes. This, this is, mm-hmm. it's more or less an ultimatum at this point. It's either you choose your suffering or you choose your liberation. Either you're going to stay stuck here or you're going to fight this and you're going to get over this. And I chose this. I'm like, I'm not, I can't have this mentality of sitting here feeling sorry for myself and constantly like in this state that I might not get out of this because they're telling you, oh, endometriosis, there's no cure bullshit if there's a cause there's a cure and i'm gonna find the cure even if it leads me to my goddamn end i don't care at this point it's just like this is my mission now is to finally reconnect everything within me to prove that we all have the capacity to heal ourselves now this is a big mission i'm taking on because i don't know if i'll actually you know to try to cure something I mean, I could be but, a little crazy saying that, but I believe it's possible. But, so, but thinking about it this way, think about it this way. In the process of that discovery, 
you'll likely make changes and adjustments and decisions that uh, will be beneficial to you that you might not have made otherwise. Yeah. You know, um, one thing that you said really triggered a memory with me. There, uh, I guess he's fallen out of favor in, in latter years, but Bill Maher, a uh, comedian of sorts, used oh, to, like <laughs> yeah, he, he, he made a, he made a years and years ago. He was, I forget what we were talking about, something about medicine. And you made this point that always stuck with me, which is that modern medicine. And um, I, I would even go so far as to say modern society, uh, because I think it's really important to note that these people who do go through, uh, you know, the doctors and the nurses and the psychiatrists and those people, these are skilled folks. This is a yes. trade like any other trade, and they put their time and they have experiences. And they, you know, I have I know many people who have worked in and out of the medical field. I used to volunteer at a hospital when I was in high school, and a lot of them, you know, again, bless their heart, they're 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 going into it with the mindset that they're doing good. You know, I don't yes. think, I don't think there are very many people who are intentionally just being greedy. Uh, although I do think that greed, you know, f- is a cancer that, that spreads whether you are aware of it or otherwise. Yeah. But when the culture is so anti humanity and by that, and this is where the Bill Maher joke goes. He's like, we have these medicines now and they don't want you to have a period. They don't want you to burp. They don't want you to fart. They don't want you to spit. They don't want you to, uh, you know, if you, if you, if you're 80 years old and you can no longer get an erection, here's a pill. Like the things, the natural, um, the natural grace of our bodies degrading is being circumvented by these miracle drugs that are meant to keep us this perverse obsession with staying young and virile and uh, in the same composition that we were when we were in our 20s with none of the arbitrary societal, um, uh, how do you say, uh, crassness being allowed to escape, even though these are God-given natural functions that your body does to self-regulate itself. So we've ingested all these things within us to shape our body in such a way that it happens to fit whatever norm currently exists, but at, at, to what extent and to what damage to our body long-term. You know, if you if you don't have the ability to uh, have, you know, your, your body is a, is a, a, a miracle of mechanics, you know, and yet we're curbing. It's like if you, it's like if you put restrictions on your car, if you, if you covered the muffler of your car, right. Or if you, you poked a hole in the tire, like it's not going to work the same way. You might get down the road, but to what, to what, uh, to what extent. And, and I think that it, it, that discovery of listening to your body again, because it's not really promoted. And again, I don't think there's nefarious, necessarily is nefarious intent but everyone just starts thinking the same thing and so everyone just does the same thing and no one really stops to think and um but but when you listen to your own body whether or not within your lifetime you'll find the perfect balance of lifestyle to cure uh your ailment doesn't i mean we hope for it but the process to that that place would also be beneficial. Yes. When I, um, yeah, when I was, you know, most of my twenties, I was, I was meat free, uh, either vegan or vegetarian. And there was a period somewhere when I was like 27, 28 around there where I said, you know what, maybe I'm missing out on things. Maybe, you know, I'm a, it's, it's such a burden to be eat with me because I've got these restrictions and, 
you know, it's, it's just, it's a bummer and I don't want to be that person. And so I went back to eating meat and dairy and I quickly discovered that I'm incredibly lactose intolerant. Yeah. Like I, I cannot have dairy. I mean, certainly certain kinds in particular, I will have an immediate reaction and it will not be pleasant for anyone around me. <laughs> um, I, I started to discover that I, w- I had developed some sort of allergy or at least sensitivity to, to meat. Like even eating a steak um, could get me to a point of nausea where I would, I would throw up. Yeah. You know, um, you know, like my, my ex would make me a steak and I would eat it. And then like an hour later, I'd literally be vomiting um, as though I was drunk, um, you know, and every, you know, every time she kept cutting the steak smaller because maybe if I could eat a little bit less and, you know, I just, at a certain point, I just came to terms with the fact that I'm, I have a sensitivity to, to red meat. And when I was a kid, well, when I was in my early twenties, I had a um, typhus that they suspect I got from a, a, um, a lice bite. And lice, some some form of lice, carry certain enzymes that can make someone sensitive oh. to red meat. I don't know if that's the case, but I do know that by listening to my body, I said to myself, well, I'm lactose intolerant, so I really can't have dairy. I uh, have a sensitivity towards red meat. So, you know, a good chunk of this meat eating process, I just can't, I just physically can't do. And then um, even at a certain point, fish was starting to kind of bother me in weird ways. And so, you know, I I, I had met a friend who was also vegan and, and I had just remembered how much more happy I was uh, with my own body when I, when I didn't eat meat and dairy. And so at a certain point I was just like, why am I, I'm, I'm, I'm swimming upstream by trying to force myself into this lifestyle that my body clearly does not want to follow. I, it's not my will, my body's will to be uh, meat and dairy. It doesn't, doesn't yeah. agree with it. It just it's not, it's not how I'm built. And, and so I, I made the change to go back to being vegan and it's not like I eat healthy all the time. I mean, last night we had all kinds of junk food, but it still was a much different effect on me. And at least I'm conscious that I'm eating junk food and that's a conscious decision that I'm making. It's not just habit. And I think that that self-discovery and, and, and which starts with, it's just like any, any revelation starts with listening. Yeah. Listening to yourself, listening to others, listening to the things around you, really taking it in, asking yourself, is this healthy? Is this good? Are drive-ins really that great? Is this is this hustle society that forces me to cre- create a job out of every every interest I have? Is that healthy? You know, we need to start asking these questions. Now you may decide it is, but that's but at least it becomes an active engagement versus a passive acceptance of what society has laid out for you. So to to bring it back to sort of your experiences within the medical realm, if the doctor had said to you, we don't really know what causes this. We don't have, I wish we had a a firmer solution to this, but we can offer you this. This has this effect. It does this. It may cause this. So this is something to be mindful of. You know, it happens in this percentage of people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Just having that back and forth so that at least you're making a conscientious, active decision, what you do with your life. And I feel like, as I've gotten older, whether it's a matter of me recognizing it more or whether it's just inherently gotten worse, this idea of that conversation, that active participation in the aspects of your life, the things that affect your life are being sort of 
non non respected and there's no there's a lack of value being placed on that and there is a a level of sovereignty that can be attained by simply saying you know what i'm going to do this discovery on my own i'll listen to what you have to say i'm going to research myself i'm going to listen to myself i'm going to feel myself and then i'm going to react i'll make a decision an informed decision. Um, I had a friend on Instagram today post something. There's this big movement towards technology being the solution for everything. And um, she, she did it. She, she posted this quote from the matrix, which I do think in many regards, I know this because I've, I've even felt this at times, this, the, the, the diatribe with agent Smith, where he's talking to Morpheus and he's saying that the humans are a disease that need to be wiped from the planet. And I remember not so long ago, believing that also. Yeah. I had that view myself. Yeah. Not and so then, much now. And it's easy to do when you just look around, yeah. but um, for me, as I started my my journey through life and path through high magic, and um, I feel like certain receptors and senses opened up, and I started asking and and making that choice to be an active participant in my life. I started to realize that actually humanity is pretty great. Yeah, I mean, it has it its brutality. <laughs> you know, it has its brutality, and it ha- it has its you know, uh, but it is a we're we're animals in nature, <laughs> and just like animals in nature, they're angrier, more aggressive animals, and there's more docile animals, but there's an ecosystem that works naturally. And, and, and so once I, once I changed my mindset to this idea that humanity is terrible and therefore opening the the door to slowly, but surely remove our humanity, talking about those physical functions that we all consider crass, you know, in our society to uh, normal experiences of, of bleeding, you know, that women do as a part of natural cycle of life, the, the miracle of life, you know, um, once you get past all that and you start realizing that those things are not things to suppress, but they're things to celebrate, that yeah. they're things to elevate, they're things to, to, to embrace. I think that we'll start to find ourselves making decisions just like you're doing that that lean into that 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 embrace that that um celebrate the humans and and the humanity of who we are and then make choices to continue that celebration to aid in that celebration to make you feel like you're making the choices of your own life as much as we can in the the greater sort of global sense yeah no, I, I definitely agree there. I think, I think the the big problem with humans, um, at least the ones that kind of have, I think we I said about uh, said to you earlier that humans. I find some people they want the world outside them to change without actually mm-hmm. doing anything to change, mm-hmm. and you know, if you're looking at the world in a certain way and you're seeing humans as a plague and a virus. And then I know I've had that. I still sometimes say it at times, but I think it's by choice, you know, when they talk about like the, you know, dual nature of things in a sense, like, well, you have creation and then on the other end you have destruction. So a a virus can be something that can destroy and stuff. So, I'm not saying that a virus, the a virus itself has its positives in a way because it can. How do you you need a certain level of of 
elimination taking mm-hmm. place. And I know this might sound very morbid and especially because of COVID times and stuff like that, but these are natural processes. And the problem with man is he is afraid of change. He's afraid of mm-hmm. death. He's afraid of everything that's natural. I mean, like you said there, even about um, like periods, how they're natural. I, I seen a quote saying, it's funny how period blood is one of the only types of bleeding in a sense that doesn't come from violence, but it's one mm. of the ones we look on with so much disgust. Right. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's a natural process for a woman, but yet we glorify wars, but we won't glo- like, we don't glorify the natural process of the human body, which in itself is a miracle. The fact that you can burp and, you know, do all these other weird things as disgusting as they may seem at times is a miracle. And it's part of that life death cycle. For -hmm. instance, you have to have a bowel movement in order to let new things in. If you don't, you're probably going to get sick. You know, you're not going to be healthy. These aren't things you should look at and discuss. These are things getting older. That's a natural process. All these things. And I think what it is, is, Man, it's funny. I was just watching something here by uh, Russell Brand. He was actually mm-hmm. talking about um, like the metaverse and how uh, there's different metaverses, I guess, other than just the Facebook one. I, I'm kind of <laughs> I'm new to all this stuff. I'm like I try to stay away from it, but I was like, oh, I yeah. kind of have to educate myself a bit on it. But I think I think the metaverse is like Coke, like a, it's a brand, but it, it's yeah. it's sort of so, it because it becomes symbolic of the larger move towards a virtual reality. Yeah. So wherever this one he was talking about was, they were saying about um, people, basically, you can have an avatar that lives on once you're dead. They take this data and they can record conversations and stuff. And then someone can come to you. But he was saying something along the lines that, like, are they going to use these for advertising purposes? Like, Mm -hmm. are you going to go and visit grandma and then she's trying to sell you, like, you know, some erectile dysfunction medication, (laughs) like, you know what I mean? Like, you don't know how these things are going to be used. And, you know, even he even said it was almost like, um, you know, sex robots or sex dolls for grieving people. Like, these are processes we have. Grieving is Mm -hmm. a process. And I don't think it's a natural part of the process to keep someone there. Right. Because you can never fully go through the process if you can have access to that person. Same with like a relationship. When you break up, that's the point. You're, the point isn't to, hey, we're going to be friends, even though I've tried that before. It doesn't, it doesn't work sometimes because sometimes there's, such, there's so much history. Everything just has to let go. It, it, it's part of the thing that needs to be let go. And I think this is human. It's an ego thing. We just want to cling on to things. Even with me, my body wanted to cling or my mom, I don't know, my ego, my ego wanted Mm. to cling on to the disease and wanted to say, you are sick. I am not sick. I'm experiencing sickness. I'm experiencing pain. These are things I'm experiencing, but they're not me. Like, you know, even like as a, a a woman and you know I'm I'm caucasian those aren't who I am they're what I am they're right. they're just aspects of me that contribute 
in a sense, to the experience that I'm having in this life Mm -hmm. in which I will derive my wisdom from. Mm -hmm. Now, everybody is going to experience things differently. Like, you know, for me to sit here and, you know, talk to people about pain that haven't experienced pain, you know, they, they can grasp it a little bit, but unless you've been there yourself, you can't really fully understand what's, or even really fully even empathize with what's, you have to be able to really put yourself in someone's shoes to be compassionate enough to really listen to them and really want to help them. And I I do feel like there is a, there's a problem, not just even in the medical field. I just feel like there's a problem overall with people just not wanting to listen. They just want to be right. It's my way. And if you don't accept my way, then I don't want anything to do with you. Get out of my face, get out of my way. And we see this playing out in the political spectrum as well. Like you can't even, I, I don't find it as bad in person as it is online, but it even gets to the point. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I got caught up in some of this stuff. I know during like the whole like black lives matter and stuff. I don't know how many family members and people I knew that end up like deleting off Facebook because they didn't exactly believe exactly what, what it was. I was believing at the moment. That's ego. Like I still get caught up in stuff like this and it's like, Oh my God, what am I doing? Like, I'm getting mad at someone because they have a different opinion than me. And it's well, not to I, say it's wrong or right either. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's uh well, look, I, I think that there's a lot of things at play here. Number one, um, capitalism thrives in a world where you feel dissatisfied. Yes. And one of the best ways to feel dissatisfied is being brainwashed for lack of a better term, taught, grow up in a society that believes that it's all about the individual. Yeah. You know, there's been many studies that have shown that places where people are the happiest or places where people get over depression quicker are, are places that are more communal, yeah. are places where people do things for other people, um, places where there's a sense of, of service towards yeah. their community, towards their family, towards the people around them, um, places where there's more charity. These are places where people, generally speaking, are happier. Yeah. and if you believe, as I believe, that we are all the divine, which has poured itself into these flesh robots to experience life in all these various facets, a Caucasian woman from Canada, a Latino man from South Texas, so on and so forth. All of these are important because God or the divine or the light or the force or whatever you want to call it has decided that in order to experience life, it had to pour itself into every aspect of life. And if you start to believe that, then it's much easier to accept that we are all divine beings. And therefore, everyone's opinion um, at least deserves honest and good faith consideration. Now, that doesn't mean that they're not bad opinions out there. There are many, increasingly, in fact. But it means that I'm willing to hear what you have to say before I disagree with it. Yeah. And I'm willing to try to see if there's any commonality that I, that can be derived from it and built upon. So for example, um, I don't know, someone may feel like living in a city is grand. 
And mm-hmm. someone may feel like living in the country is the better way to live. And really at the core of both of those, it's two different types of personalities looking for a lifestyle that satiates their desires. Yes. Whether it's peace, quiet, uh, working with your hands, you know, working a farm or whatever, or whether it's uh, more cosmopolitan and going to plays and art shows and music concerts and what have you. Both of these individuals are simply looking for something that makes them happy. And there's the commonality that can be built upon. It doesn't really matter that you like to do something different than me. It doesn't matter that you like to do something than me. It just matters that we like to do things that make us feel good and useful in the world. The other thing that you said earlier, um, I think you said create and destroy, but there's a a friend of mine uses uses this sort of acronym for God or uses God as an acronym to, to sort of as a stand for or stand in for generate order destruction. Yes. Life is generated. Life falls into an order, a, a, a system of uh, an ecosystem, an environment uh, as it relates to each ourselves with each other. Mm-hmm. And then it's destroyed. And this is a cycle of life that is not only natural, but it's imperative to exist Yes. We've already all, all one has to do is look around the world to see where there is scarcity and resources. And then it's not a hard connection to realize that if we stop dying, that um, we're only going to see more scarcity and resources, exactly. which means that our which means <laughs> that our existence will be less pleasant and less peaceful. Yes. There's no shame in dying. And if you believe that you're part of the divine and that dying allows you to return to a portion of, you know, the portion of you into the greater you, into the greater us, Mm -hmm. then it's just another step for the stepper. It's just another part of life. Just like learning to walk, your first kiss, your relationships, birth of child, perhaps, success in uh, your skill. The, the graceful aging as you start seeing gray hairs pop up in various places you didn't even know gray hair could get to. The, and, then, and then your eventual passing. And these are the things that are the miracle of the existence of the universe. And this isn't like, like a hippy-dippy sort of uh, new age belief. This is literally just science. This is how – this is the order of the universe. Things, is, things are generated. They fall into a specific order. And then they eventually, as all things, ashes to ashes, dust to dust – they are destroyed. Yeah. Why are we fighting this? It's this fear. And one of my favorite, well, my favorite movie of all time is Blade Runner. And there's a very famous scene where Roy Batty, the sort of uh, duplicate, the the replicant, f- goes to his creator and he says to him, he, he's asking for more life. You know, these, these replicants are only on a six year living span and he wants more life. Yeah. And, you know, the guy who creates him is says, we can't, we don't have that technology. We don't have the ability. Once it's set into your, into your DNA code, it is what it is. He says, but you know, the, the candle the, that burns brightest burns half as long and you have burned. Oh, so very bright. Mm-hmm. There is, there should be a pride in that, a value in that. Yeah. I think that Humanity amongst all the various animals on this earth has burned the brightest. And yet we're in that burning. We are, we are just morbidly afraid of burning out. Yeah. Which to me then invalidates the brightness of your burn. (laughs) You know, it's like, why not accept that, that 
the 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 mental capacities that we have, um, the opposable thumb that allows us to create tools, that allows us to create all these amazing things. If we could, as a society, turn those things away from convenience and speed and pro, na- unnaturally prolonging life, and instead use our 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 capacities to enjoy the time that we have to truly allow ourselves to create art, love, laughter, peace, community, would we then not be more accepting of our eventual destruction? I, personally, I, I think so, but that's that's where this big division ultimately ends up coming in. I think we, we get caught up in the sort of culture war of, uh, you know, I believe that people should, should do this and or I believe people should do that, you know, and really and truthfully – that's just a distraction away from what we really should be doing, which is maximizing our experience in this lifetime and everything that's involved with it. Because the whole point of the whole meaning of life that people always talk about is to experience life yeah, in all of its splendor. Yeah. The ups, the, da- the downs, the good, the bad. It's funny. I seen this video where they showed um, there was a straight track and then there was one that kind of went up and down and they left the ball go. The ball traveled mm-hmm. faster going up and down than it did going in a straight path. Wow. So sometimes it, sometimes we think when we're going uphill that we're going a lot slower than everybody else. We see everyone else passing us. But once we get to the top, we gain that momentum to kind of keep going. And I think for a lot of us, you know, I, I know even myself, there's there's always been this process of kind of, well, that generate order, <laughs> destroy type thing is, you know, where I throw myself kind of into ideology sometimes. Mm-hmm. I, I've ex- I've ex- kind of explained this to my parents because they say, my God, Christy, you get so into things sometimes. But <laughs> sometimes I feel like I have to emerge myself into something in order to really gain a perspective of it, whether mm-hmm. I'm doing this consciously or not. Um, it's how I've learned and how I've been able to shape myself. Like I know the, there's a, a quote in Alice in Wonderland. I can't go back to yesterday because I'm not the same person, something like that. I'm not the same mm-hmm. person as I was yesterday type thing. And it's true. And if you're, if you're someone that has stayed with the same beliefs, same thoughts, same everything, and you're, you're working hard. I know like, for instance, for sometimes women more than men, although I do see men starting to care more about their age now more than Mm -hmm. women, whereas that used to be more of a a woman thing, but like women trying to stay the same, like putting a lot of makeup on or or doing Botox and I mean, if you want to do that, that's your thing, but it's this denial that I am part of a process and a divine process at that. And it's this fear I think of what's on the other end. Mm-hmm. If I l- allow myself to be destroyed, what am, what's going to be left? What am I going to be left with? It's like that tower moment where I know like in the rider weight decks, a little different. They're both going down, but in my deck, um, there's one woman in the deck. She's kind of gracefully surrendering to the fall. Whereas the other guy's mm. trying to grasp for the crown. And to me, it shows the two different aspects that you can have in a tower moment is you can either gracefully surrender to it and dive mm-hmm. with it, or you can try to cling on to whatever you had, which was probably a very shaky foundation to begin with. 
And to me, that tower moment is kind of the pinnacle of the generate, order, destroy, because it's often those tower moments, even like, I mean, death, the death card is of itself, but the tower card, it just is this card that really, it's that shaking. It's like everything you've built on faulty foundations is now going to come crumbling down. You have to take whatever bricks that are still good. You can use those to kind of build your foundation upon, but what we need you to do now is kind of examine for more solid foundation. If, if you're building everything upon a weak foundation, eventually it's, it's going to crumble. And I mean, to branch this out on, you know, the macro scale is when I see people in power, for instance, and a lot of people want to say, you know, the elites, they have these sinister, I'm like, this is where I always get kind of caught up is like, are these people evil? And Mm -hmm. I don't think they are. I just believe it's the whole, uh, the road to to hell is paid with good intentions. It's this, they're, they're, they're acting out of fear. And I, let's put it this way is if you are someone that's in control of yourself, you don't have the desire to control other people. If you control Mm -hmm. your, your domain automatically the world outside you kind of changes. If you can change your perception, you can control your response to things, even though sometimes it can be be hard at times because you get thoughts and emotions that kind of get in the way there. But if you can really bring into awareness all of this stuff, you you don't have the desire to control people. So when I see these leaders or corporations and stuff, trying to control i'm like you guys are so out of control like it's it's they want you to believe they're in control because that gives them the power that they want but they don't really have so they're Mm -hmm. depending on you to kind of feed that illusion of sorts when really they don't even really know what the hell it's not that they don't know what's what they're doing they know what they're doing but it's you sit in one of your other podcasts. It's like, it's the question of like, we can do it, but should we be doing it? Right. You know what I mean? It's like we, it's that awareness. And a lot of people, I think Noam Chomsky said something along the lines that a lot of people are acting unconsciously, like Mm -hmm. even in making these decisions, it's not that they're, they're evil people. Like, I mean, for instance, Justin Trudeau, the prime minister ever, I honestly think that guy, in his deranged little mind of his feels like he's doing good, but it's like an Mm -hmm. egotistical thing. Like, Oh, I'm going to go down in history as Canada's greatest prime minister. That's probably what's going through his head. I don't know, but like, it's, it's no, you're not, you're, you're so, I think what it is is some, everybody wants to be go down in history as something or someone or something, but to what extent, to what extent are you going to do that? Well, I think also there's um, – you have to ask yourself uh, – it's kind of as I was mentioning earlier, like the idea of saving the world or making an influence on the world is colored by a lens. Mm-hmm. And one must ask oneself, let's say Justin Trudeau, for example, is what you're doing is your uh, – are the moves that you're making to – strengthen a a hold on your citizens to you know control them in a way that you think is for their own best interest is that actually great 
And I oftentimes have believed that many of the leaders that, you know, these folks, like those weirdos at the WEF and all these techno techno, um, magicians, technomancy, you know, they, they, they think that this destruction of humanity and this movement to, towards they they you know what it is it's it's a it's a it's a self loathing yes you said it per- right there yeah that, that is then perpetuated by this idea that their creation is better so uh, we created you know God or whatever you want to call it however you perceive God to be created life life was created life sprung forth from nothingness. And life, for all its many splendors, is finite. Mm-hmm. And people who amass great power and still find emptiness in said power have determined that they're that that they they hate themselves, that they that they that they hate that they can't find satisfaction in their material gains. And so therefore they have decided that they hate life. And because they've created machines and because they've created technology and because they've created uh, software, they believe that that is the better route to go. Yeah. That the, I, I do, I do, I mean, at least on a subconscious level, I think that many of these folks believe that the natural order is inherently bad and that only this more binary technological influence system of good and bad yes and no coke and pepsi uh the haves and the have nots only this way of living will provide a more substantiated way of life though i would argue that it's and i i think that one only needs to look at the increasing depression rates increasing uh suicide rates um, the the uh, decrease in health, the decrease in standards of living, the decreases in happiness, the further atomization of ourselves from our neighbors and our communities and our, even our families, even our spouses and our partners, that their system that has been really in play since the industrial age isn't working and it isn't making life better. And I think that inherently people are less happy than ever. The, the the sad and scary and truly conspiratorial thing is that that unhappiness that this system that's been created has generated is actually the means by which they keep us loyal to it. Yeah. The system that they've created hasn't brought us greater happiness, hasn't brought us greater luxury, hasn't brought us greater recreation. And yet, because we are fundamentally as a as a society far less satisfied far less content we buy in deeper it's like it's almost like a, an abusive relationship with the system it abuses us and so we want it's we desire its love even further yeah. it abuses us and we will desire its love even more and and on and deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole we go and if you try to jump off that train, if you start to say, you know what, this is an abusive relationship. I do not like this. This is not healthy for me. Then you're ostracized. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like uh, like I've said before, it's almost like being in a, a relationship with a narcissist, someone that has like narcissistic personality disorder or something that. Yeah. It's it, even that ostracization is what they do to you as well as like, um, you know, in cases where they say people are in relationships that sometimes the narcissist will 
basically tarnish that person's reputation so that they're not seen as the bad person. Like Mm -hmm. we got to keep you down. So it's, it's almost like, how do I escape it? But you have to, you have to realize I don't care what they think about me. That's, that's the biggest thing is just letting go of which, which can be a hard thing to do because like I said, the ego wants to cling, but just to let it fucking go, like, let it go. Who cares what they think? Because it's not making you happy. You're not fulfilling your will. You're not, you're not doing, you're not even acting upon your will at this, this moment because you're, you're kept in this state, you know, I, 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 I oftentimes think is like, you know, when they talk about like colonization and stuff, I feel like we're at the point we went from, you know, land to cultures. Now we're colonizing individual, the, the body. Like, mm. and I feel that like this transhumanism, this stuff, this way we're going, even like the world economic form and the way they talk. Yeah. It's like we completely, um, this is where I'm because we have choice and I, I know that there's ways in which people like we can be oppressed in ways like for instance slavery that's that's a, a physical oppression but there's ways people are mentally oppressed and I often wonder like are we are we being walked we're kind of being walked into it but at the same time do enough of us have I, I do believe we do, but do we have the power to really confront that thing within us to say, this is not going for my good. I'm hating myself. Why am I hating myself? Where is this deriving from? And to really start pulling back the layers to really know who you are and what you stand for. Do you have the power or even courage to do that because it's a very courageous act to just rip yourself wide open and say, you know what, I'm not standing for this anymore. And even if it means I have to slowly break away from it, I'm going to do it. Even it's baby steps. That's even like within, but oftentimes with like a narcissistic relationship, you just got to get the hell out. And this is how I feel with it at this point. It's, getting to the point that it's it's kind of get out now you have to start because the way they're uh whether i mean when i watched that what was the the one about the um, the netflix movie this was it called the social it had the it was about like google and oh the social dilemma social dilemma yeah Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. he there was a guy that one of the i think he was one of the google guys he had said something Mm -hmm. along the lines that when they created these things like social media, like Facebook and stuff like that, the intention was good. The intention was to connect people, to bring people together, but it be, it kind of started to take on a life of its own. And it became this thing like before they became, I think the term he uses they became lost in their creation. And it almost sounds like it's almost the same thing about, like God, but God did it consciously. He poured himself into creation, but it just shows that when you're creating something, you, if you're not careful, can get lost in that creation. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, how do you get out? And sometimes I feel that that might even be 
God, for instance, working through all of us in a way is how to break out, like how each individual that liberates themselves and achieves this level of, um, you know, awareness within themselves kind of liberates that aspect of God that might be trapped in the physical world, whether it's trapped, I don't know if traps the right language for it, because I feel like it was done on purpose and, and, and intent. But it's like uh, Alan Watts says, it's like God playing hide and go seek with himself, in right. a sense. Like, can well, I, we yeah. do, get to that point? Like, <laughs> Well, I, I think um, something that's been, I've been thinking about lately is um, the idea that, you know, you're familiar with the idea of the knowledge and conversation of your holy guardian angel or just mm-hmm. interacting with uh, divine forces in general. If time, if you believe, which I think most scientists do believe, that time isn't linear as we perceive it, but it's really more of this in uh, infinite, all-incurring, all-encompassing moments stacked on top of one another infinitely in every variation, a very timey-wimey, wibbly-wobbly ball of yarn, that these divine forces that we could be interacting with, these holy guardian angels that we could be interacting with, are a version of ourselves that has reached that higher level of divinity. If you look at the movie um, Interstellar, the scene, and it's an older movie, so I'm going to do spoilers. There's a scene at the end where Matthew McConaughey's character um, is trapped in this, um, I forget what they call it, but he's trapped in this sort of interspace sort of nexus. And he's interacting with his daughter, in the past. And as you watch the movie, you realize that through this interaction, he is the one who sets, uh, sets uh, the, the stage for the story to occur. Right. In the beginning of the movie, they get these weird messages. They're trying to figure out what it is. And so it leads him down on the, it starts the journey. And then you realize that he is the reasoning for those weird signals that they were getting because time is not linear. And therefore he could both simultaneously be sharing those signals and receiving those signals in the past at the same time. Yeah. So if we can, if we start to go down the train of thought that our divine influences are versions of ourselves or ourselves at a point of higher enlightenment, for lack of a better phrasing, it's not a, it's not a far leap to think to ourselves that uh, technology and um, and artificial intelligence, which isn't really a thing right now, but is we're getting closer and closer and closer to it, at very minimum could be built, you know, when we talk about self-awareness, when we talk about singularity and transcendence, we always think about it as uh, awareness. Yeah. But that awareness in and of itself can start to be, build its own egregore around it, especially mm-hmm. over time. And if technology or a, let's say some future version of AI, let's say the metaverse and this technology eventually leads to some sort of Skynet type mind hive or matrix type mind hive, which over time will, you know, and presumably machines could live much longer than us. So over time could build an egregore around itself to then send in the same way that we think of, say, angelic forces, send information backwards to itself. Yeah. Is there a world in which this technology that we think we are masters of are, is actually a future master setting the stage for its own creation? 
it's funny because I've had that I've had that idea presented to me, and I think like like the idea that is the AI already existing and it's using us to build upon it or make it more real or give it life. Like a yeah, think of like Terminator, right? The the whole yeah. the total time the time paradox, right? You send Kyle Reese back in time to save Sarah Connor from the Terminator, but by se- sending uh, Kyle Reese back in time, you create John Connor. The creation of John Connor then necessitates the need for Skynet to send Arnold back to kill Sarah Connor, which necessitates sending Kyle Reese back to save. And in your and now you're in an infinite loop, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> Is there some future version of this technology operating in such a way through, you know, um, energetic influences that help set the stage for its own creation in the same way that perhaps is there a future version of us that is communicating through and through energetic forces that is trying to get us to become that most sovereign version of ourselves, that, that more connected to the vine version of ourselves. Are these influences us or future us's? sort of playing in an, in an endless infinite loop. You know what? I think you're onto something there. I haven't even smoked weed today. So <laughs> I smoked one joint. It's like, I'm going to do it like, but I got to do it like three hours before the podcast. I'm not <laughs> going on there, but no, because, okay. Because in order to accept one, how can you deny the other one? Exactly. So I, I would, I would probably agree. Cause I know even when I'm, I know myself, when I personally talk about things, when I say about angels and God, some people, they interpret it that I'm talking about something outside. I'm like, no, no, no. Everything mm-hmm. I'm talking about is things that processes that are not happening in. But a lot of times, like for instance, when, like you even said about the Holy Guardian Angel, I do believe that is you I never thought of it in the way that you had presented it though, but yeah, probably it's a good chance. It is a future you, if it's an aspect of you, who's to say it's not the future you kind of guiding you through the process or it's a you in another time frame or dimension or something like that, or in a higher realm communicating. And if that's the case, if, if, if we can do that, who's to say, nothing else can do that. I think it's very ignorant to say, oh, well, humans are the only people and things and and energies that can do this. Well, obviously something's kind of been guiding us to create technology. Like Mm -hmm. where are these sparks of inspiration coming where, you know, people are creating, like, how did we get to this point? Like, I mean, we're communicating, like pretty soon, like we could be sitting in a metaverse together. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's at what, point do we does it stop like and like is this something like this is where i'm always on the fence about is like with the ai thing is i'm not really for it personally because for one i'm from the the woods and technology (laughs) like i was one of the last ones of my friends to get like a satellite dish. We had two channels and I uh, was, we were one of the last ones to have internet when me and my sister had a cell phone. We shared it with my mom and dad and we shared it with each other. It was technology never really dominated my life. And I was one of the last ones of my friends actually get a smartphone. I didn't mm-hmm. want to get a smartphone. Cause I was like, uh, I see you guys when I'm out hanging with you guys, you're just sitting on your phones, sharing, like showing each other videos. Like you're not actually having 
conversation. You're not using your brains. But then I gave into it because everyone was sitting there on a phone. I'm like, well, and then I became one of them. And I'm not going to lie. Like I am probably, that's probably an addiction I do have is to my phone. Oh, yeah. So Absolutely. I mean, the things that you control eventually learn to control you. Yeah. You know, they, they learn to dominate you. They learn to become a part of you, whether you believe it's a conscious actor or just a, a byproduct of, of the convenience, they, they do start to dominate your life. Right. Um, yeah. And there's good and bad because, you know, the cell phone allows me to com- connect and meet people from all across the world yeah. like yourself. Excellent. It also um, send you down paths where you'll lose whole hours of your day, Yeah, you know, just looking at nonsense. Yesterday I went on a hike and I was trying to take a photo of this lake. It's beautiful. And I just, I just wanted to share it cause I just thought it was beautiful, you know? And, uh, but there's a, there's a big chain link fence that keeps you cause it's a reservoir. So I want people getting down there and dirty in the water and what have you. And, um, I couldn't get the right angle. I wanted to sort of put my phone in such a way that you couldn't see the chain link and just really show the, what I was seeing. Yeah. And I just, the way the fence was designed and the give that it had or limited give that it had, I just couldn't get the right angle to really take the photo I wanted. And so I just, I, I told Jess, I said, that's okay. I see it. And she's like, you sure you don't want to try over here? I'm like, no, no, no. It's, I, I'm watching it. I, I know it's there. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it would have been cool if I could have shared it with some other people who could also experience that sort of remotely, but that's okay. I, Cause I see it and I'll remember it. And it's, if, if I spend the time to really be in the moment with it, then I could always describe it. And I feel confident enough in my ability to speak that I could describe it in such a way that would put any photo to shame. Yeah. And I just walked away. I was like, let's continue our walk. And that was it. Yeah. I start to do the same thing at concerts now. You know, in the olden days, you just feel like you have to share it or a great meal. And look, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with those things either. Yeah. But I also don't think it's a necessity. I also don't think that we have to give in to every one of those impulses. I also think that we can recognize when we have certain addictions – and try to make better choices, try to move ourselves away from them, or at least at very minimum as a start, try to use them in a, in a more productive manner. You know, you could doom scroll Instagram all day long, or you could read, uh, you know, a, a great blog, for example. Like one of my favorite blogs to read is by Lori Davis. She, she puts out a, a blog once a month or twice a month, maybe. And it's always just like, I always call it like chicken soup for the soul, you know, that is a more useful uh, use of my time. It's a more productive use of my time than doom scrolling and reading whatever dramas happening in occult Twitter these days between all these like tarot Kardashians. And, you know, it's like, it's like, that's, that's a waste of my time, but I could read poetry. Yeah. I could share poetry. I could share a photo that I did that, that I feel like, perhaps will make people feel a certain way that maybe they're not seeing while they're watching their reality television, their, you know, 90 day fiance. I can, I can try to at minimum use it in a more productive manner. And if nothing else, that's a step. Yeah. Making conscious decisions about your life is a revolutionary act. Being an active participant in your life looking to create deeper bonds and connections of those around you is a revolutionary act. 
I think that as we get deeper and deeper and deeper into this technological terror that is metaverse and is cell phone reliance and is computer reliance and is Postmates reliance. I don't know if y'all have Postmates up there, but it's the food delivery service. Um, <laughs> you know, all those things, I, I think that we will become more atomized and more divided and more singular and thus less happy and less more and and thus more depressed and there therefore um you know we'll have all the conveniences in the world and yet none of the satisfaction of accomplishment yeah this is this is a this is a very silly metaphor but it's an accurate one when i was a kid i used to walk to my local comic book shop or i would walk to local dollar cinema i don't know half a mile or so back when People allowed their kids regularly to go walk off by themselves. I'm fine. I'm alive. Um, <laughs> You're still here. <laughs> still here, arguably. Um, and so going down to the shop and grabbing whatever comic book I wanted to usually Thor uh, and, and coming back home before I could read it gave me this great thrill. It was like a great experience. The whole of it, walking from my house five or six blocks to the shop. There used to be this old judge that used to own the shop. He was a hoot. He was all cranky all the time. Interacting with that guy, picking my comic, paying for it, walking back home. And then the moment I could get, but that anticipation just builds and builds and builds. And finally, I can get to my room and I can, I can sit and I can open and I can, I can read whatever's happening. It might have taken me an hour or two, whatever, maybe longer, right? Whereas nowadays, you could just go online, you click in, and boom, it's there. And maybe you read it while you're on your phone simultaneously. And there's just, it doesn't have the same impact because it's not earned no. convenience. No, it's like, yeah. It's, it takes like the, it almost like, like what you're describing it kind of reminds me similar. Like when I used to go get movies as a kid, go to the store to get movies. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's almost ritualistic in a sense. It's yes. the ritual of doing this, but we have no ritual. Now everything is just impulsive. There's no thought put in it, into it. And you know, these things we do, I mean, even as like simple as rolling a joint, they're ritualistic activities. But when mm-hmm. you have something, like you said, you're there, you're looking at your phone, you're watching the movie at the same time, and you're probably talking to someone at the same time, you're not focusing on exactly what it is. You're not in the moment anymore. Right. Your, your attention is divided in all these other spaces as opposed to being in that moment and the experience of what you're having was just, you know, getting to like the comic book store and who you're meeting along the way and the things you're experiencing. And especially probably didn't have a phone to distract you back then either. You know what I mean? We don't, we didn't have the distractions. Now we're just distracted and everything like those little moments they're they're, um, there's sacredness in them. As, mm-hmm. as silly as they sound, there's, and we often miss those now. I know I was, it's, I'm, I'm thinking back here. I was out, up, up, up in the city here uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, I have a place there with my sister, but I've been staying down home with my parents. But I was out on the deck and across the road, there's a little lane that leads over to the school that's on the next street. But there's a little bit of a hill and then it, the, the street is actually on the hill that it comes out. Mm-hmm. Anyways, there was a father and his two kids that came out 
down the hill and the little boy, he went, he came down the little hill and he went up the street and the little girl, I'd say she was probably about five or six. She's like, dad, I'm scared. So I'm here. I'm watching this whole thing. Mm -hmm. There's no cell phones in sight. You think nowadays, whenever their kids trying to learn something, they're not even looking at them. They're looking at them through a phone. There was no cell phone here. It was just, I think it was one of these moments that it's like the, you know, the universe or divinity wants you to experience these small little things that show you such a great thing. And the little girl was standing there at, at the top of the, the lane there. And she was saying to her father, she goes, I'm scared, dad. And he's like, he's encouraging her. And eventually she gets the courage to go. And mm -hmm. he is so excited for her and happy. And I'm up here bawling my eyes out watching this <laughs> thing transpire because otherwise I would have been looking at my phone. Right. I would have been out there smoking, looking at my phone. And, you know, if we just look up, put it down and look up from time to time, we experience divinity and these sacred acts acting Oh, right in front of us. If you yeah. can catch it. But we're so distracted now that we feel like there's no meaning. Of course, we feel like there's no meaning because we're not putting meaning into anything anymore. We've, we've extracted meaning from everything. We don't, we're just wandering around. We're like, if there was a zombie apocalypse that was going to happen, we're in it right now. Like, well, I, think, I don't feel yeah. like, we're, like, like to the point where, I mean, not, not to the extent of, I guess, what people can say zombies are, but this this thing that we just kind of gave up our minds. Yeah. Like, well, it, it reminds me of Daniel and the Lion, you know, Daniel and the Lion's Den. And, um, you know, when faced with adversity, Daniel chose to look up. He looked, he looked to, he chose to look to the divine, to God, to, to, whatever, whatever you want to call it. And it offered him salvation and protection. And the way we can look up now is not so literal. It's just, it's, it's looking to see divinity. It's looking to see life, God, whatever, again, whatever, however you perceive it in the small things, the child playing with their father, the birds at the bird's nest, you know, um, if you have an animal, a pet, like uh, them laying in the grass, taking in the sun, you know, um, that the sensation of an embrace with someone you love or respect, mm -hmm. those things will bring us such deep satisfaction that it will make the stuff of the mundane feel like cardboard in our mouths, yeah. you know, and uh, we will crave incessantly um almost like a libertine the the more delicious aspects of life which are, are not rooted in uh, commercialism or materialism or any of the like they're rooted in connection connection with the earth connection with your fellow man connection with yourself most importantly uh, and connection to the divine and uh, and i think that that is that is uh, the the true act of rebellion of counterculture that's even left to us. It won't be popularized, and there will be no movement. There will be no catch line. Um, it will simply be up to each of us to make that decision privately. Yeah, 
and implement it in our lives day in and day out. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think by someone taking on that, you inspire others. It, it doesn't even have to be a movement of sorts. Mm-mm, it's like mm-hmm. I, I like to say it's like throwing the pebble in the lake and That's it causes it. the ripple. You're so in depth. You're in the depths of it. You don't even bother to look at the surface to see how much of effect you've had on people around you but you have that effect on them regardless it's that diminishing of i don't have to have the attachment to something that i have to be something greater i have to be more than what i am all i have to be is just i am i just have to be and and i think there's something beautiful in that and it's coming to that realization that i mean it it can be hard because it's like a pendulum swing of sorts you you go from one end to the other but if it slows down after a while and eventually you can kind of hit the middle point at some point i would hope i'm still kind of in that process but it gets easier over time isn't that the journey for us all um So obviously, thank you so much for your time. You do uh, for anyone who is who who listens to this podcast and is like, "Wow, this this is a person I want to connect with." You do uh, you are on the social media and you do do tarot readings. Um, yes. Let everyone know kind of where they can connect with you if they want to, if they feel like you're the type of person that they want to have, form a some sort of connection with. Well, you're, if you're interested in tarot content, I have a separate page for that. And it's at on Instagram, it's at Divine Oracle 1212. And then I have a personal page. It's mostly quotes, esoteric content. And I do weekly readings on there, collective readings. And that's at underscore GL902 underscore. Very cool. Well, Chris, thank you so much for your time. I mean, we chat all the time anyway. Yeah. Just really, <laughs> podcast is really just like the way we chat, but like in an audio format. So yeah, I definitely, much. I definitely want to have you back on very soon. And um, I'm gonna, I gotta find time because I, I always busy up my weekends, but I'm looking to create something that I think will be a space for more folks like us to sort of interact. And um, because I, I do know that there is a, a need for a more digital landscape because as there's just physical distances between folks but i think that there is a good use for that somewhere and i'm trying to figure out what that is and i hope that um, as we bond and as we bond with others um, we can we can be collectively greater than the sum of our parts yeah i'd be da- i'd be down for that actually this <laughs> this has been an awesome experience this is my first podcast i've ever been on so Thank you so much. Oh, this no, has been awesome. Yeah. The pleasure has been all mine. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you soon. All right. Sounds good. Bye. I want to thank Krista one more time for coming on the show and being so honest and open about some of her frustrations dealing with the healthcare uh, community and industry. I mean, you, you think of Canada as an American and you think – you know, such easy access to healthcare in ways that we could only dream of. And yet to hear that she's experienced some of the same frustrations that we here in America experience, I I think it helps uh, itself strengthen and solidify the things that need to change in order for us to have the kind of experiences with our doctors, with our healthcare professionals, and ultimately with ourselves and our bodies that we all aim for. 
one of the most important things in this podcast is, is still sticking with me is the idea of checking in with oneself, is getting to know oneself and understand how one's own body, mind, spirit, soul operates, works, is experiencing. So often we are being driven to experience things or, or relate to things or respond to things in a very specific ways that are sort of preordained by those outside of ourselves, but ultimately our own insights to how we are experiencing this thing we call life trumps everything else, which is not to say that you ignore expertise or folks who have a, a, a 50,000 foot view of a situation, certainly not. But by the same token, we live in our own skin and therefore we should slowly but surely take ownership of that, take responsibility for that, and always aim to have sovereignty over that. You have one life to live, and it is yours. And so if there is no other takeaway from this podcast, I hope it's that. I'm going to keep this brief because I've been working late hours, so I want to thank you all again for listening. I want to thank Carista again for being on the show. And until next time, gold rings on you all.